Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence and Mike Nicoletti. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. gas markets are giving us a head fake. And by that, I mean the supply demand for oil and the products that you make oil are in reasonably good shape uh, from a supply point of view. And keep in mind that uh, OPEC plus still has, you know, some additional capacity uh, which they're adding back to the market at the rate of 400,000 uh, barrels per day per month. Uh, they do that each month. They actually have a short meeting, and uh, and they are briefed ahead of time. Now, the U.S. administration, the Biden administration, is going to be after Saudi Arabia to increase that that increased amount each month or to do a one-time increase because, of course, they're worried about inflation not being transitory. And uh, and uh, they're also worried because I think the Federal Reserve will in November begin to taper. In other words, not buy as many bonds every month. And, uh, and they're all, all completely focused on whether or not they can hold the House of Representatives in November 22 and whether they can, you know, lose or gain seats in the Senate in November 22. Um, and uh, so I think it's almost for sure that the Saudis will have some additional, they, they may not even do it officially. They may just, you know, they may just, you know, without interfering with the OPEC plus stuff, they may just put more oil on the water. Um, there doesn't seem to be a kind of a shortage of inventory. Uh, obviously, with uh, with uh, uh, the uh, COVID uh, being quieting down, there's more demand. But you know, it it does does not seem like an undersupplied market. Um, so eighty dollars, you know, I mean, what's the difference between eighty dollars and seventy eight dollars? Well, an eight is the difference, but it, at the same time, the near month is eighty. The price two years from now is sixty five or sixty six. So, uh, how much difference if you own Magnolia, you own Pioneer, you own Diamondback, you own EOG? What difference does it really make? Uh, most of those companies are going to lighten up on their hedging, but, you know, maybe not that much. And uh, so you're basically dealing with a $65 market, not a not a $75 or $80 market. Uh, in terms of natural gas, the product that went absolutely nuts uh, to the upside is LNG. And 
<clears throat> now that another week or two has gone by, I think it's pretty clear that it was driven by demand in Europe, not necessarily demand in Asia. The Asian price generally trades about a dollar more than the European price just because of tanker distance or LNG ship dif- dif- difference. Um, and <clears throat> I think what happened in, in, in Europe is the Russians withheld gas and they did this for their own reasons, I think primarily to demonstrate to the European community in Germany that they really needed to uh, commission, uh, pretty much finished, but needs to be commissioned, the uh, North Stream, Stream 2 pipe that comes down underneath the Baltic uh, to Germany. Uh, this will result in less gas passing through the Ukraine uh, and <clears throat> And, you know, it's, it's much better for Gazprom. And I hear by withholding some gas, they're not producing gas into a very strong market. They're just making that point. So I think that should calm down as well. What I think we have going on here is an unexpected bull market in a bull market. So that uh, natural gas, which in the U.S. got as high as $6.00. Again, backwardated is like 350. It, it, it is going to be more of a 350 market going forward, which is terrific and, uh, and much better than say 250 market, which is where it was this, this time last year. That's progress. But to think that, you know, $30 in Europe somehow translates into $6 prevailing, including you know, for future years, uh, or a reduction of the backwardation. That's way too optimistic. In terms of general commentary on capital markets, I think it's increasingly clear that the Federal Reserve, in this theory that the inflation is transitory, has waited too long. You would think that that means that the tapering will happen quicker, which means that interest rates especially the 10-year treasury rate, will go up faster. A reasonable rate for the 10-year treasury should be inflation rate or expected inflation rate plus at least 1% of real return. So that would get you to three, three and a half. It's not going to go from one and a half to three and a half in a jump, but if you're looking for a forecast for 12 months from now or 18 months from now, I really think, even though this is, this people have predicted higher 10 year rates have been wrong. I think it, I think this time it is going to happen. Now, what might cause it to trade more like 2% than 3.5% in the treasury market? You finance yourself in the repo market, which is tied to Fed funds. And I think it's the case that the Federal Reserve will not move to higher interest rates. In other words, they'll taper. So that carry between 50 basis points to wherever the repo market is and two percentage points of one and a half, that's pretty good. So that, that kind of artificial liquidity created by having people buy, borrow at the repo rate and invest may cause that 10-year rate to not go up as much as you would think. But at some point, at some point, there'll be a supply-demand imbalance 
because our government continues to have to borrow, you know, like a trillion dollars a year, a trillion and a half dollars a year of incremental money. I mean, at some point, we will see higher interest rates. What does that mean for equities? Um, I think that equities are uh, overvalued. and how much how that overvaluation works out is in an individual stock is going to depend on you know how quickly its cash flow after all capex is free cash flow can catch up to its valuation so that's a risky thing i i think if you're doing what we advocate owning only really 10 positions you want to keep looking and seeing that you're comfortable uh, with the valuation um, and with the progress the company's making, I don't think it makes sense at this point to sell anything that you believe is a long-term hold. But any cash, liquidity, any any money that you have that you could put in to the companies you like, that you either own or or would like to own. Boy, I really think this is a time when waiting on that or being patient on that makes sense. Now, one of the things we've done with Michael is we have come up with a lot of new companies to look at. And those of you who tune in every week will remember that uh, the idea we came up with is all these companies have gone public. Let's look for the companies that, that were generating free cash flow. So they didn't need to go public. Why did they go public? Well, they if they're generating free cash flow and they're in, you know, have reasonable prospects, so they work as a public company. They certainly had the opportunity to sell, but people who have founded companies, either financial people or the management, may think that they don't want to sell because they think there's more future in the business than than selling and getting the cash and trying to figure out how to reinvest it. So we're kind of, we've been looking for, and Mike's been doing all the work here, or 90% of the work, we've been looking for companies that went public that didn't know, need to go public to raise money. And Mike, to his credit, has come up with a bunch of interesting companies, and he's got two more to discuss today. Without cutting into his time, just the two from last week, Sentinel One and, and CrowdStrike, I spent a lot of time with the long weekend looking at them. And I think they're both very interesting companies. They're companies that provide uh, networks with greater security. They can monitor all the entities, cell phones, laptops, and whatnot are plugged into the entity, try to recognize someone has intruded and find that person, that, that entity that's intruded before they can do too much damage or set things up where they can demand ransom or whatnot. Really interesting businesses. Not cash flow. A crowd strike is cash flow positive now. Sentinel One, who's smaller and more interesting, not cash flow positive yet, so they don't meet the time, but they raise in Sentinel One so much money in the public offering, they've got enough money to... I mean, they're not going to have to do any financing or borrow any money or whatnot. So they're both very well situated, but so expensive. I mean, the more mature one, I I calculate is trading at more than 100 times free cash flow. Well, that's a 1% free cash yield. So, I mean, just too expensive. 
And with that, before Mike gets into the two new ones for this week, just want him to comment on, on those two and which one he prefers, whether he thinks they're too expensive. Over to you, Mike. Hi, Hunt. And yeah, I think I think this has been a fun exercise digging into the recent IPOs because it's caused us to look at, at new markets. So uh, endpoint security in general is an exciting, not brand new, but certainly a new way to look at enterprise security. Well, let's 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 back up one one step. We we've talked a lot about Nvidia here on this call. That's obviously one that we like a lot. The Artificial intelligence technologies that Cyber uh, Sentinel One is using all operate use, utilizing these uh, NVIDIA GPUs. They need those GPUs in order to train their models and detect the anomalies and then uh, correct and prevent attacks. So it's a technology that can be implemented. It's not necessarily um, a silver bullet to cybersecurity or any other industry for that matter. So while I really like what Sentinel-1 is doing, I I don't know that it's here to stay. My, my biggest concern with these companies is that what really what happened to FireEye last year when they, a number of their customers got hacked and people started to turn away from it. So if you put yourself in the shoes of the chief information security officer that's in charge of implementing uh, cybersecurity, they tend to have very short tenures when it comes to the job. So essentially, the board sort of needs to fire them if there's a major hack. So if you were, for example, the uh, chief information security officer that brought FireEye into a company and then they got hacked, that, that chief information security officer is going to go to another company. He's probably not going to go in with FireEye. He's probably going to go in with Sentinel-1 or CrowdStrike or somebody, somebody else. So I think that the latest hack could affect any of these companies. And that means there's just this sort of black swan event that's looming um, that that could affect any of them. Does that make sense? I think so. I made the case with Mike this morning that CrowdStrike might have an advantage. Their technology might not be as good, but they're further along and had kind of an incumbency advantage. Uh, what you want to do is you want to get adopted by people who are, I mean, one of the things that you see in the financial disclosure and the 10Ks and 10Qs and prospectuses is, and you see this in software as a service all over, how many customers are spending at least $100,000 a year with you? And, you know, they're only... There's not an unlimited number of customers who can afford to spend that amount on a particular security system. And to the extent CrowdStrike got out there first and has more of them, it just seemed to me it'd be hard for Sentinel-1 coming along to dislodge. But uh, before Mike gets into his two new ones, we'll just get a comment from him on that. You're absolutely right. There's an advantage to incumbency in almost any market. But as we'll discuss Having leadership in one niche area where you are definitively better than everything else presents an opportunity to expand into other areas where there might be more competition. So it may, you may have a competitive market in endpoint security, for example, but what the Sentinel-1 people will tell you is that nobody else has as good algorithms to detect 
stop and, and correct active attacks as they do. And if that is a powerful enough thing, then they will, they will also win the endpoint security piece of the business as well. All right. Now, in the 10 minutes or so we have left, Mike has two more companies. So uh, I promise you, I'll, I'll, I'll always be kind of a week delayed. I'll take them with me this weekend and uh, try to be, you know, have some knowledge of them by or some ability to speak out about them uh, by next Wednesday. But over to Mike for the rest of our half hour. Sounds good. Okay. So, and since we only have 10 minutes, we'll keep this pretty high level, but in the email this week, I'll have, I'll have all the details uh, and then we can spend five or 10 minutes on it next week as well. But the concept I want to talk about today is zero trust. Uh, this is a, this is a uh, really a, a cybersecurity philosophy that really kicked off in the early 2010s, but is now becoming fully embraced by pretty much everybody. And the concept is relatively simple. You assume that everything is happening on the open internet, everything within your, com uh, your company. So whether it's inside a corporate network or being accessed from outside of the public internet, you just assume that everybody is a potential threat and you have to do, um, you have to take numerous layers of protection in order to prevent uh, prevent attacks. And the, the first piece of this, the first step to properly impl implementing zero trust is implementing strong identity and access management. Uh, that's essentially a framework of policies and tech that ensure the right users uh, in your enterprise have access to the right thing. So if you've ever worked for a large corporation, especially when they use Microsoft, you might be familiar with Active Directory. Uh, that's their product. One of the companies we'll talk about today is a company called Okta. They offer a probably the leading uh, identity and access management solution that's not uh, proprietary. So there's another layer to identity and access management because there's normal users, for example, like you and me that might use uh, a handful of tools within a business, but then certain users have access to things that uh, maybe are more proprietary. This could be key IP, this could be uh, financial related, access to bank accounts, that kind of stuff. It also could be access to servers. It could be servers with access to servers. So that this that kind of secondary, deeper layer of identity and access management is called privileged access management. And the company that I want to talk about in that space is called CyberArch. So let's start with Okta. Okta is a leading platform for identity management, not including uh, not including proprietary platforms like Microsoft. The concept with the company is that they want to enable everyone to safely use technology. It's a very effective solution for companies as they grow and develop custom internal tools and are utilizing external tools. It has two primary lines of business. One is workforce identity for internal use for a company, and the second is customer identity, where you may produce a product for the use of other customers where you need to manage identity as well. From a business model perspective, they are a software as a service business. We've, we've discussed relative valuations of software as a service businesses. I'm not going to go into too much depth here, but I will include the same charts that we did in the past few weeks on relative valuations. 
the one point that I just want to make sure we reiterate here is that there, these companies are relatively expensive on a free cash flow basis. Um, even though this company is relatively cheap compared to other SaaS businesses, it's still historically relatively expensive. Uh, so in making a decision on these things, you really want to be confident about it. The, the, the next thing I want to cover when it comes to identity and access management relates to that same research report that we talked about last week from my friend, Morgan Stanley. We talked about endpoint security being a key growth area for chief security officer spending. The one that was larger than, than endpoint security is identity and access management. Again, this this technology is kind of identified as a key area of growth, which is represented in, in the, the analyst expectations and growth for the company. For next year, revenues are expected to grow close to 50%, and then 37% in 23, and 34% in 24. So there's, there's uh, expectations of, of extended future growth. So I'm going to move on to cyber, uh, cyber arc, unless, Hunt, you have any questions. No, no. Uh, the only thing <clears throat> when we talk free cash flow, uh, Mike and people who follow these companies generally uh, add back about 50% of the sales expense under the theory that you could still grow at, say, 10 or 15% a year, spending half of your sales expense. And if you're growing at 25% a year, you shouldn't dock the cash flow by all that extra sales expense. And um, I, I, I'm I, skeptical of that. And I keep pointing out to Mike that uh, other companies like NVIDIA or, uh, or, uh, or uh, uh, Google, you know, grow. Uh, they have plenty of sales expense, but they have free cash flow, plenty of free cash flow for sales expense. And I... You know, this is something we're going to continue to look at because as we come up with these companies, we're going to continue to circle back to them. And it's going to be very interesting to me as you look at each quarter, whether or not they're able to outrun the sales expense and have free cash flow after their sales expense. But back to you, Mike. Uh, absolutely. And it is, uh, it's a new way of doing things, right? Um, so I, I, uh, I've been part of my role is to understand the fundamentals and then decide whether the market's doing something that's rational or irrational. Um, so I can make a, a purchase for our portfolio that's either a bargain um, or we expect to, to have long-term uh, upside and growth. So it, this is a this is a constant issue and something that that we'll continue to wrestle with. Okay, so CyberArk. So CyberArk is a another cybersecurity company, but they have established themselves as the leading company when it comes to privileged access management, which means essentially the keys to the kingdom. So these are the things that are most important that need to be secured uh, that you can't afford to get stolen or lost. The interesting piece about this company is not just that that's their product. That's They have a nice product, they have a nice business, but what's more interesting is two moves the company's made in the last 12 months. One, they 
they acquired an identity and access management company. And two, they're transitioning their entire revenue model to software as a services subscription. So prior to um, a couple of years ago, they didn't offer anything on a recurring subscription basis. Everything was sold uh, with a perpetual license. Kind of, and if you if you if you want a comparison to that, like the old Oracle model would have been uh, a similar licensing and maintenance model. Most technology companies have transitioned to a software services subscription. Companies that do this successfully earn a premium in the market, theoretically, because they have more consistent, reliable growth. So CyberArk, I find interesting and more interesting of the two because the upside potential is, I believe, better for them, partly because they have an established, credible leadership position in privilege access management. And the potential for them to grow into identity and access management is uh, is there because, like I mentioned before with CrowdStrike and Sentinel-1, if you have a really strong position in one market, it's easier to have a just as good solution in a less critical market uh, and still win the business. So, I, again, I don't want to go much deeper. We've only got a minute left but I'll have a little bit more information on both of those in the email this week. Yeah. The, uh, for any of you who uh, don't get the email easy uh, through Diane or, or directly with Mike to uh, get on his email list. And I certainly uh, recommend that. And uh, with that, we'll have more on these two companies and maybe some more on Sentinel and CrowdStrike uh, next week. And, In the meantime, everyone, uh, stay healthy. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in to us again next week as we'll be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.